I'm Dr. Judy and welcome to Supercharged Life where I help you discover new ways to create success, wellness and fulfillment and give you tangible tools to supercharge your life. Today, we're gonna talk about how to supercharge determination. Determination is a mindset that directs you to persevere toward a difficult goal despite obstacles, which helps to propel you into action and sustain motivation so that you can get to where you wanna be. And I can't think of a better person to speak about this with. My guest today is probably one of the most accomplished people you'll ever get to meet. She is a professional ballerina, principal dancer in the New York City Ballet, an actress who has appeared in everything from television commercials to Broadway musicals. She designs her own dancewear fashion line and now she can add author to her title with the release of her book Katarina Ballerina. So please welcome Tyler Peck. Yay! <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited to see you and you are such an inspiration to so many people, especially millions and millions of young girls. You are literally living their dreams. So when did you know that you wanted to become a dancer? I kind of grew up in a dance family. My mother was my first teacher. She was a dancer and then she has owned a studio since she was like 20 years old. So I grew up down at her dance studio. So dance was always a part of my life. And it was always a thing where when I was dancing, that's when I felt my best. I never thought I would be a ballerina. And I'm so happy that that's the way my career took me. But I just knew I wanted to be a dancer. It's amazing. You actually started dancing when you were around two, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, as much as you can when you're two. But I was babysat, you know, kind of down at her dance studio. So as soon as I was walking, I was trying to do all the moves with the big girls. It's <laughs> so cool because you grew up with that influence. Obviously, dance was a part of your family. Was your mother also a professional dancer before she started the studio? She was. She actually, you know, I said to her the other day, I said, Mom, we need to find some videos because I, I mean, yes, she was still dancing when I very first started dancing. And we used to do little dances together in her recital. And she was so good. And she could always outturn me. And she was so much older. But she was so good. And yes, yeah, she was a professional dancer. Um, she was on that show Ted Mac Amateur Hour. And she like won. Oh, wow. Yeah, she used to do this little thing where she was a gymnast. And she would like, do a handstand and crawl up and down on the stairs and then like do some flips and things. So so she definitely was professional too. <laughs> That's so cool. Your whole family is very ambitious and motivated and just doing really wonderful things in various parts of life. I know that your sister is a principal, so she's also a leader in her own world. Did she also dance growing up? Did you guys both take dance lessons? Yes, we did. My mom's favorite line is to say that she has two principals because I'm a principal ballerina <laughs> and she's a principal. But yes, my sister and I both danced and we both played soccer. Ah. And my sister went on to play division one soccer. She was like, when you were like eight years old, we have seven years in between us. She was like, when you were eight years old and better than me, I knew dance wasn't my thing. And I tried soccer and all I did was dance down the field. So clearly soccer wasn't my thing. <laughs> Well, I think that obviously you guys found your own way in, you know, really living out the dream that you wanted to live for yourselves throughout your life. Did your dad also dance or your dad didn't get into that? <laughs> My dad also had that. We got the athletic gene definitely from both parents. He um, 
was a college football coach at Utah State. And once he met my mom, actually, he made his um, football players take dance because he thought it would really help with their footwork and their agility. And so he always says, he's like, I think dancers are one of the best athletes, like hardest working athletes there are. Absolutely. I think that it's so interesting because really when you think about all different types of athletic pursuits, there's really this message of perseverance and determination that you you basically have to have that. And you can have the talent, you can have some skills that you're quote unquote born with, but then there's everything else that you have to do to become successful. So what was it about you, you think, that made you so determined as a little girl? Because by the age of 11, you had already done everything. You had been performing already, acting, I mean, doing all of these things that, you know, it takes a long time for some people to to get to. So what was it about you, you think, starting at that young age where you had that level of determination to keep going? I think it comes from your family. And mine was definitely something my mom instilled in both my sister and me. And it was just kind of like, I said to my sister, you know, we're so intense. Like we're like what you're saying, like determined, you know, how, where does that come from? And she was like, well, mom just expected 110% or don't do it. And that was something that I think we, we used as motivation. It was like, pick what you're really great at if you love it and like follow through like 110% because there's a lot of people I think that would want to have this dream of being a ballerina. And if you don't really love it and really respect the art form, don't take somebody else's opportunity away from them, you know? And because I do think like you're saying that talent does go a long way, but you can't stop there. You have to have the discipline and the determination to keep growing and getting better and improving And, um, I'm so grateful for my mom that she kind of, you know, ingrained that in us. I think that it's an important message to teach young children because there's a lot of research on growth mindset versus fixed mindset, right? And fixed mindset is all about this idea of, okay, you're born with what you're born with. And to hold on to it as much as possible. So if somebody says that you're smart, you believe that maybe there's a ceiling to that smartness, but when you have a growth mindset, you actually believe you can become smarter if you try harder and if you keep learning. And I think it's a great lesson for people to learn at a young age because you can't be afraid to make some mistakes and have to work harder. Maybe sometimes even in the average person, you shouldn't give up on your dream if that is still your dream. I know the field of dance and especially ballet is not only competitive, but can even sometimes be rigid. Um, One of my best friends is actually a former professional ballerina as well. And I used to perform in musical theater. I've been performing since I was a kid. So we have that in common. And I just know that there's just this level of perfectionism that I think that field sometimes espouses that one could maybe turn certain children off because it just feels like too much. And two, it can make it kind of an unhealthy pursuit for little girls and little children. So what is something that you've learned through the years? And what's something that we can kind of talk to the next generation about in terms of what's that balance of working hard, but not veering into that level of rigidity that might actually become unhealthy or or difficult for them to keep up with? Yeah, the one thing I see in ballet, because it is so competitive, like you, like you mentioned, is kids really compare themselves to one another. And this is actually most of the message of Katerina Ballerina. 
Um, and what I felt was really important because growing up, I was surrounded by this competition all the time. And then you get into the New York City Ballet and everybody is, yes. you know, it's, you can't look one way without there being somebody who has better extension than you do or can turn more or jump more. And, you know, I think the reason why I was able to keep going was because my mom and my family always taught me, you know, you worry about you. You have to worry about you being your personal best because you have different gifts than the other person. And, you know, that's what makes you special. And it's true. You know, I don't, I'm a ballerina, but I don't have perfect turnout. And I don't have the highest extension. Those are always things that I always kind of got down on myself about. That's what makes me be able to move quickly and do things that some dancers can't do. And so I think where sometimes you think their weaknesses, they actually are your strength. And I think that that's what's really important. I think to kind of just focus more on yourself instead of putting yourself down because you know, everybody, you can look somewhere and get defeated by every single person. There's always going to be somebody who is better than you at something or aesthetically they're, you know, one move looks better or they seem like they have a certain technical detail down a little bit more than you. And yet, like you said, you have to embrace these differences and turn them into your own unique strengths. And I love that, first of all, it's one of the main messages of Katarina Ballerina. But also, I think in your real life, you've experienced this and overcome it in that some of your earlier dance passions and skills were more rooted in other forms like jazz and hip hop. And then you became a ballerina. And maybe in the beginning, you even felt like that was a, a problem. But in, instead, it became something that people looked to you for, that it was that something special when you danced. Exactly. I always was afraid that people were going to call me the the jazzerina, <laughs> like the, the jazz dancer who was trying to look like the ballerina. And it was something I really struggled with. You know, I was like determined that I fit in and that everybody was like, okay, she's actually a ballerina. When really I found out that that was what choreographers, when they would come and watch me at New York City Ballet, would instantly fall in love with and want to work with me because they could see that I had more background dancing than just classical dance. So in a way, what I thought was really hurting me was actually really benefiting me. And I get to work with so many new choreographers that come into the New York City Ballet. And, you know, I was one of those kids who hated ballet when I was young. (laughs) It was my least favorite of all of them because I think it takes the most discipline. And, you know, it's not such free form where like jazz, you can dance to a pop song. It's classical music, which is harder to get into when you're younger. And, you know, I found it a little bit later. I found my love for it like at 11 when I was in the Music Man. And I went to SAB, which is the school that feeds into the New York City Ballet. And there was something about the training, the style, the musicality that felt sort of jazzy to me. And I thought, hey, I didn't know ballet could be like this. Yeah. And you just had an open mind when you arrived, it sounds like, you know, maybe there were certain preferences that you had before. And like I said, I think a lot of children are intimidated by things like ballet because it does require that higher level of discipline. And I remember when I was taking classes as a kid, they were intense. My instructors were in 
tense, you know? And, and I think that it's, it might feel like it's not for everybody, but when you got to the school of American ballet, you realize that there was a different way that you could self-express and that maybe it was different teachers. I mean, this is another really important point of like, sometimes you find these amazing instructors and they just inspire you or something clicks and then it becomes your new passion. So at that time, around the age of 11 or 12 is when you started, right? Um, at the School of American Ballet. Yeah. Did you feel that you had to play catch up because you weren't as invested in ballet earlier? Did you feel like you had to work harder than everybody around you? Or what was that experience like? Yes, you're right. I think certain teachers really bring out the best in people. And that was exactly what I found at School of American Ballet. And, you know, there were certain things, like I remember my very first class, the teacher said, you know, now we're going to do a pirouette. And in jazz, we're used to doing like, honestly, like I could do eight turns like this. Like it was just like, that was what we did. And in ballet, you do like mm-hmm. two. And so I like raised my hand. It was my first class. And I said, oh, how many pirouettes would you like? And I felt the whole class like, <laughs> look at me like, okay, who does she think she is? And here I am thinking just like, I really have no idea what you're mm-hmm. asking. And she was like, oh, well, um, you know, we're doing doubles, but you can do as many as you, as you want, as long as they're clean or something. And here it was, I could do a lot of turns because of my background. And it's still something that I find a lot of jazz dancers that end up moving into ballet are better turners. And I don't know what it is. And maybe it's just like, because we're used to practicing more instead of just two perfect Mm -hmm. ones. But, you know, I did feel like I had to catch up in the form a little bit. I could really turn, but I needed to clean it up. I needed to clean up my passe and my turnout. And that's really something that I focus on now when I'm teaching because it's really important. But yeah, so in a way I had like an advantage, but also I did feel a little like I was catching Mm -hmm. up. And then of course you just kept working at it until you became really one of the best um, that I think we have in this generation, which is so amazing. So talking about perfection, as you mentioned it, (laughs) do you consider yourself a perfectionist? Is that something about you that you would say is a trait? Oh my gosh, yes. It's sometimes it's too much and I've gotten much better about it. When I very first got into the company, if I messed up something like so tiny that nobody would know except me, oh, my one finger was out of place or something, like something that crazy, I would be upset for like the next two weeks. And I just realized that finally, as I matured and I became more of an artist, I thought, really, what is perfection? Mm -hmm. Is there a thing as perfect? And I don't think that there is. I think that it's a great driving force to help people become as best as they can. But I think it has to be a very fine balance. And that's what I've kind of found because I thought, you know what? Nobody really wants to see a perfect performance. Mm -hmm. They want to see somebody going out there and being lost in the moment and just feeling it. They don't want to see somebody calculated, worrying about the steps. So now I enjoy my performances so much more because I'm able to just go out there and leave it all on the stage and what happens happens. And you just have to trust that the technique is there because you work on it every day in class. But when you perform, I think that it's really just about going out there and being in the moment. I can't agree with that more because when I think about performance and what really draws people to the arts, whether as an observer or as a performer, 
it's the emotionality that it evokes, you know, as an audience member, when I watch a play, a musical, a performance, I'm not looking for perfection. I'm looking to feel something. And it feels extremely cathartic, actually, when I watch a performance and I'm brought to tears because of the emotion that these performers are bringing out in me. And I love what you said about that. And I think it's an important message for everyone because, of course, it's great to have high standards. You know, we want to do our best and you're doing your best by practicing and training and all of those things. But you also have to allow room for vulnerability and for the human side of things. And no human is perfect. And in fact, some of the most memorable performances that I've attended are the ones in which I've seen missteps. And then the person just keeps going and keeps performing. And I remember this very recent Cirque du Soleil performance that I went to go see. And, you know, those performers are doing these crazy tricks all the time. And they were doing the flying trapeze and they missed a catch. And wow. they actually loop the music and make them do it again. And I, and I know why they do that, because they want them to remember the success and connect with that. But you could not imagine the uproar when they actually made it. You know, I mean, everyone just like, because you kind of take it for granted. Sometimes you look at these skilled people, you just think that they're perfect all the time. And then when they actually have a misstep and they have to do it over, you realize how hard it is to do what they do. And it's important, I think, for them to have done it again, because I think as dancers too, you know, if you miss a step and you don't get back out there and do it again, you're always going to have that in your head and it's going to become a fear. And so I think that that is really important that they do it again, because then they can just get it out and move forward. Yeah, exactly. So that their last memory is one of success and that they conquer the fear because fear can really hold you back from going after things and, and definitely gets in the way of your determination. So I'm so glad that we're talking about all of this, because I think that right now, more than ever, it's so important for us to continue to give positive education to our young children. And the book Katarina Ballerina is just so fabulous because it is so relatable, I think, to so many people, just the story of basically an imperfect child dancer, you know, um, how do they find their way in this world and really embrace their own unique differences and make them strengths. So Tell me what inspired you to become an author and to write this book. I always loved writing in school, but I never, ever would have thought that I would have written a book. So I still am pinching myself. (laughs) Um, But it came about pretty naturally. I met my good friend, Kyle Harris, who is my co-author of the book. Um, While we were doing a musical, we were starring in Susan Stroman's new Broadway musical, which was called Little Dancer when we met in 2014. We were at the Kennedy Center. And now it's Broadway bound and it's called Marie. But Kyle, here he was, this soccer player, no ballet skills at all. And he was plucked into this musical that he was surrounded by a bunch of ballerinas and the Degas world. Wow. So he was just fascinated. And so he started to put together this little Katarina character and he sort of based her a little bit off of both of us. He is a little pigeon toed and he has this crazy curly hair. And so we, we started talking about how about we make this character who is kind of a misfit. She has this love for ballet, but her body and her hair and what she thinks a perfect ballerina looks like, you know, she doesn't really fit that stereotype, but she has that love for dance. I don't want to give it all away, but 
you know, it's basically about she has that thing that you can't teach that you were talking about that you love watching in a live performance. She has that light from within that makes everybody in the room want to dance. And you can't teach that. You can teach the technique as best as you can. And through the book, she really works hard because that is her ultimate dream. And she knows she can't take it for granted that ballet is just easy. And, oh, I just love it so I can do it. No, it's not about that. But it is about not letting people tell you that you can't do something and using your own unique gifts to shine because that's what makes her stand out. It's a wonderful lesson not to only teach children, but honestly, even adults. I remember one of my really close friends in college. And again, just the importance of mentors and and what people tell you, but also do you take those messages to heart? Uh, I was on the same track with my friend. We were both studying psychology. And for some reason, the mentor basically advised her to not pursue psychology. And she didn't. She ended up doing something else, which is great. She she ended up having a great career somewhere else. But it always made me wonder you know, how much one person can make a difference because it was really after being told by her mentor, well, I don't think you should go into the field of psychology, that she completely switched tracks. But up until then, she was a straight A student. She had all the same internships that I did. So it really makes you wonder, you know, and it makes sense too, that when you're younger and you're being guided by people you look up to, if somebody is giving you a message that sounds discouraging, it's easy for people to veer off that path. Yes, exactly. And I actually had that when I was in third grade and I'll never forget it because I had to leave class early. I left every day at 1.30. I'm from Bakersfield, California. And the best studio, my mom didn't want to teach me after I was sick. She was like, I just want to be your mom. And I think that was the healthiest decision she could have done for us. The studio that we decided for me to go to was three hours away. So my grandmother would drive me three hours there and three hours back four or five days a week. It was crazy from age six to 11. And I will never forget my third grade teacher um, had a meeting with my mom and me and said, you know, at some point she's going to need to decide between dancing and education because she can't have both. And here I am hearing this and I'm thinking, I'm so confused because I'm a straight A student. I feel like some dancers, our mentality makes some of the best students. And here I thought, that is so not true. I have a dance career. I love education. Here it is. I'm writing a book now. I, I still go to college because I love it. And so it is true. Like, Don't let somebody tell you something if you have to trust your own instincts. And if you feel like you can do both or do something like go with that because nobody knows yourself better than you. Right. And I think when you have a dream and you have an important why for why you're pursuing that dream, you definitely should push forward because you don't want to have any regrets. You want to know that you've given it your all and tried. And I really think in terms of life and just recollecting, you know, as I'm growing older, you know, what's important to me. And and to me, it's so important for me to say that I've had no regrets. And even if you fail, at least you can say that you tried your very best and you have an answer as opposed to being that person who says, man, what would have happened in my life if I made this other turn at this opportunity? And so I'm so glad that you're talking about this 
through a children's book. And it's funny because as you mentioned, you didn't think that you were going to become an author. And in fact, when you and Kyle first started talking about the book, you were thinking, okay, a picture book, but then it became a much more developed chapter book. So tell me about that. You went to Simon and Schuster, right? And they actually encouraged you to develop it further. Yeah. We had this little cute rhyme for a picture book and we went to SNS and said, here, we want to do a picture book. What do you guys think? And they came back and they said, we love her, but we think that there's much more here than just a picture book. And we want you to do chapters. And and Kyle and I kind of were like, that seems like a big undertaking. But we thought, okay, let's go back and let's do an outline and let's see if we have something here. And it kind of just poured out of us. And we came up with this really amazing outline together. It was much easier working together because we come out of it for such different kind of backgrounds um, that I think she really is really special. And I'm so excited for the world kind of to meet Katarina. So you guys were burning the candle at both ends, writing this book and performing and, you know, just, just doing everything that you could to, to put this out there for the world. But I'm so glad that you did it. Um, what did you personally get out of writing this book? I think that when you're, when you're writing messages for kids to hopefully understand You definitely make sure that you are also living that truth, right? So it was also a good reminder for me because I think once you get caught up in life and stuff, you can sort of fall into those same things of thinking, okay, well, sometimes I watch videos of like Russian ballerinas and it makes me feel like I don't really know what I give to the ballet world. You know, it's really easy to kind of fall into that trap. And so I think it was, like you said, a helpful reminder that it's not just children that need this message, but also just adults. And I needed the reminder. And it was really fun getting to use my knowledge and experiences and put those into Katerina. Katerina actually meets me in the book. And that was actually Kyle's idea. He was like, I think she should meet a professional ballerina to give her some advice. And I think it should be you. And I thought, oh, gosh, okay, well, you're gonna have to write that part, because I don't want to write about myself. But I can give some sort of advice that I would have liked to hear, you know, and that was really fun to get to to share that through this book. That's really fun. It's almost like, what would you tell your five or 10 year old self now that you know what you know as an adult? And it's such a fun opportunity. And I just really can't wait to see that. And I think one of the things that's really interesting too, is that you guys worked with an illustrator. First of all, Katarina is adorable, such a cool character and really brought to life with illustrations. Also that you really spent time making sure the illustrations were true in terms of dance moves and, and and poses. So why was that so important to you, even though this is a children's book? Well, because I thought, okay, I can't be a ballerina and have positions in the book not looking right. And this illustrator, her name is Sumiti Kalina, and she's Italian. We loved how she brought Katerina to life. You know, we had our idea of what she looked like, and then it just became so much better when we saw it on the page. But she's not a ballet dancer, so she didn't know some of the positions. So when Katerina's in the school class, you know, I had to take pictures of myself and say, no, this is what an actual passe should look. And make sure you look at how the heel is forward and not sickled, which is like a a bad position for a dancer to be in. And so I just took pictures of myself and would send them to her and say, can you make sure the feet look like this? And 
it was kind of a back and forth thing, but it felt so good to be involved. Yes. And I think it's so great because really your signature is all over the book, even with the illustrations. And it is important because you never know if a child is looking at this book and thinking, okay, this is what I'm supposed to look like when I'm dancing. Right. And you want to make sure that they get the right education. So speaking of this idea of reminding yourself, you know, to take some of the lessons that you're teaching Katerina in the book and also to all the children who are going to be reading this book. What are some of the imperfections about yourself that you've embraced now that you're an adult and you've seen more than you were when you were a child and just understanding the whole journey? Well, my physical therapist and I always laugh when we're doing my exercises because I said, oh my gosh, if somebody saw me doing this, do you think they would even think I look like a dancer? Because I'm so tight. Like I'm really tight in my upper back and also like my hamstrings. You would think as a dancer, oh, I mean, yes, I'm more flexible than the normal person. But as a dancer, if you were to see me like stretch my hamstrings, they are so tight. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, people would just be like, how does she dance? (laughs) You know? And she always says, you know, the people that are really flexible have a really hard time at moving quickly and musicality and moving fast is kind of my trademark. So whereas I don't have the turnout and, you know, I, this is also something that I, Katerina teaches in the book when she meets me, Tyler kind of says to her, I say to her, I don't have the best turnout, but I've learned to use what I have. And I know where the audience is and I know what angles and what moves look best on me. So it's kind of about figuring out what works for you and then using that, you know, to your advantage. And so those are some things that we kind of just like trickled into the book. You know, there are so many things. I'm definitely imperfect and I work very hard on all of my, my, what I call my weaknesses um, daily. I have to stretch daily. Mm -hmm. But again, (laughs) just continuing to train, knowing where you need to improve and just keep at it, which again, a wonderful lesson for children, especially today. You've been through a lot of adversity yourself. I know that you had a major injury that almost took you completely out of dance. So can you tell me a little bit about that? Because it sounded like almost a freak incident that you just woke up one day and just noticed that something felt very, very wrong. But it wasn't like you were hit or it wasn't like there was an impact that you remember that connected you to this injury. It was definitely like the most traumatic moment of my life, for sure. I, um, I had had ongoing neck issues for a few years where I would just wake up and have a stiff neck or travel on a plane and end up with a stiff neck. And um, it wasn't anything that my physical therapist couldn't fix, but I was performing and I woke up one morning and I literally could not move my neck. Like I was in so much pain. I couldn't even, I was afraid to use my eyeball to like look to the side because I was, it was just the most excruciating pain I'd ever been in before. And I didn't understand because I just woke up that way. It's not like I remember something in performance the night before and was like, oh, I definitely hurt my neck. And I had like pain running down my arm and eventually it became like tingles in my fingers. And it was something that I ended up having a herniated disc in my neck. And I kept dancing through the pain for like, probably like four weeks, I'd say, or maybe three weeks. And finally, when the tingling was really, really bad, I said to my physical therapist, like, 
I don't know. And she said, well, what did the MRI say? And I said, oh, I never actually got one. She goes, okay. She sent me the next day. And the day after that, the doctor said, you absolutely cannot go to work today. And it was the day of our New York City Ballet season. I was supposed to be dancing three ballets that night. And I was out for the whole season. And I was out for six months without doing anything. And I was told that they didn't know if I dance again. They even said, you know, you, you're so bad right now that if you were to get pushed a little bit, you could like never walk again because it was pushing the spinal cord. And to tell a dancer that is, it's really hard. And sometimes I feel like doctors don't really understand the way that they deliver the news. And every time I went to a doctor who... I didn't feel like understood me, my symptoms would get that much worse. And, you know, I'd have like tingling in my face instead of in my fingers. And it just became this really stressful time in my life. And I really had to dig deep. And I I feel like I grew so much as a person because I had to focus on other things. Dance was stripped away from my life, which was something I never thought would happen. And I had to say to myself, okay, like, who am I without dance? Like, am I more than just being a ballerina? And I am so much more than that. But it took that moment for me to have to really think about those things and, you know, focus on the other loves in my life, which was like writing and designing. And I got to do a lot more acting and use my voice instead of my body as much. But it was really scary. And luckily, I trusted my instincts and I didn't get the surgery that five surgeons told me I had to get or I would never dance again. And I just came back and I did full length Swan Lake. So there you go. Like I I worked with my physical therapist. I did a lot of energy healing, um, a lot of natural healing. And it ended up working in my favor. And I'm so grateful. I'm so glad that you're on the other side of this. I can't even imagine you getting that news, even the first day with that first doctor who says you can't go to work today. And this is how serious things are to, to then having five out of six surgeons tell you, you need surgery, but also not making promises about whether or not you'll be able to dance. But I just can't imagine what it felt like to get that news when you're somebody who since the age of two, you've been dancing basically every day and you've been moving your body every day to having six months of doing basically not much of anything physical. What was it like as you reflect back on that moment when you got that call? Did you have the first kind of a denial or were you thinking, no, like this is not true? I mean, what what was happening in your mind as you were hearing this? No, the phone call is something I will never forget. And I remember I could tell the tone in his voice. I said, okay, like I could get over that he told me I had an injury. But what I wanted to know is I said, but I'm going to be able to dance again, right? Mm. And he, his answer was, well, we're just going to take it one day at a time. And that is not something that I was good with. Like I immediately just started like falling. I called my mom. I was hysterical because I was in New York and they're in California. And I was like, mom, they just told me I may never dance again. And she was like, calm down. I'm sure that's that. And I'm like, no, 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 this is really serious. And um, my physical therapist, it, it was a very traumatic day. And I was by myself in my apartment in New York. And my physical therapist actually ended up coming over because she knew like this, this news was really, really, really hard for me. Um, but yeah, I mean, for six months, I couldn't move my neck. I couldn't do normal things. Like, you know, I couldn't walk. I couldn't run. I, I could walk, but it, they didn't want me up 
on my feet that much, you know, like they were like, okay, as much as you can rest. I, I could tread water in the pool. That was like my exercise, like with a belt on, I could tread water for 10 minutes. That was my only exercise. And for somebody who dances all day long, that was a big, big change. I can't imagine also just this idea of not being told when you were going to get better and what that better was going to even look like. And for somebody who obviously has built your life on planning ahead and reaching goals and and knowing what you're shooting for, how uncomfortable was it to have to hold this basically state of unknown Especially when people were being discouraging about it, you know, you're hearing from these doctors and I totally appreciate what you said that sometimes doctors and the way they deliver the news, you're like, you need a little help with this, please. Uh, And also, I don't think every doctor understands professional dancers and how they work. So I think when they're telling you about the surgery and how that's going to change the mechanics of just your, your whole physical being, they don't realize that maybe with the surgery, they may actually do more harm than good for somebody who is a professional athlete. But I mean, what was it like just holding that space of unknown, especially with so many discouraging messages coming at you from professionals who obviously know their craft? Yeah, that was what was the hardest because as a dancer, we're used to being given a correction and then you mm-hmm. fix it. You know, it's like, well, just tell me how I can do it right and then I'll do it. And so I couldn't be like, okay, well, just tell me how I can fix my neck. Like if you tell me to lay on my back for six months, I'll do it. And as long as you tell me that will fix it. And it wasn't until I was able to embrace the uncertainty. And, you know, I saw a sports psychologist to help me get through this. And, you know, my energy healer, like half of our session is talking 45 minutes is talking and then 45 minutes is like on the, the table, like doing energy work. But a lot of it was having to get to that point of being like, you know, we don't know what's going to happen. And until I could accept that, I don't feel like it actually started to heal. And that mental healing, I think, was what ultimately, like when the doctor said that this wasn't going to work and this would never fix itself without surgery, I think that's ultimately what healed me. And you know, yeah, like I was hearing from these doctors who I felt like, you know, they said, well, we do, we always do this professional athletes and this football player was back right after here. And I thought, I don't think you understand what I do. Like I'm an athlete, but ballerinas need to be able to move their neck. So if you're telling me you want to fuse a segment together, like, you know, and I may, I, oh, and you won't even notice. Mm -hmm. I'm like, yes, I will notice that my neck won't bend in that one area. And then when you do one, it just puts stress on all the rest. And then what, I'm going to have to get another surgery and another surgery. So it was really hard because I just didn't feel understood. And I didn't feel understood until I went to my sixth doctor appointment. And I finally found the doctor that I really believed. And he didn't tell me, you know, this is going to work. He just said, I see your progress from the two MRIs. I'm not telling you that this is going to work. I can't say that, but I do feel like you have a good chance of this healing on your own. And for me, I don't like to do surgery with a professional athlete until they've let themselves try to heal, like given their body the ability to heal itself. And I remember my physical therapist and I just kind of sat there and we were like, wait, did we just hear this correctly? Finally, one doctor is saying that I might have the ability just to heal on my own. 
And it was crazy that I had been to five that had just said like, absolutely, no, you need to go to surgery tomorrow. Yeah. And you held on to that hope. You held on to that hopeful message that there might be a way, but you still weren't promised. And I think it's so profound what you said too, about when the healing happened, when you embrace the unknown and just had to sit with it and be okay with the discomfort. But also I appreciate what you were saying about just our mind body connection, right? That anytime you felt misunderstood or not listened to by a doctor, some of your physical symptoms worsened that you had more of that tingling or something really felt even more uncomfortable than when you walked into the office. And it just shows us that the power of the fact that our minds and our bodies are just completely linked in so many ways. What was it like going down this path of naturopath healing and just things that I think, <laughs> I mean, just in the little that I know about you and read about you, Tyler, I, I would imagine that that was a step out of your comfort zone, like an energy healer. What's that? Oh, for sure. I would have been the first person to say like, that mm-hmm. cannot work. You know, like there is no way I would have been like, I like to see something physical. I like to see the results right away. You know, I went into that session. I remember the first time I really didn't like it. I felt super uncomfortable because a lot of times when we were speaking, he would get quiet because he wanted to see what we were talking about and to see how the energy was flowing through my body. And so here we would be sitting in silence. And I was like, this is the most uncomfortable situation I have ever been in. And now I still do it. I mean, I do it with him every Wednesday. And now those silences don't make me uncomfortable at all. And I'm able to like live in it and be there. And I hundred percent know that this helped me like without a doubt. And, um, when people didn't understand, you know, they thought, Oh, you know, there, there's no way that's helping. I thought, you know what? It is helping me. And if I believe it's helping me, then that's enough for me. It can be as crazy out there as it sounds, but I feel the difference every single week. And I feel myself growing as a person every week, let alone my symptoms are getting better. I just, I believe in it a hundred percent. I never would have thought that I would have ever done anything like this, but I was desperate. I was desperate to just try anything. I understand that completely because I think that's very similar to my personality in that I was always saying, okay, well, what do the doctors say? And, you know, in general, that's just the way, how do I solve this problem? What do I need to do to make this work? And that idea of sitting in discomfort, whether it's exploring a new treatment modality or just sitting in silence. So it's an interesting thing because as a psychologist, it's one of the tricks in our bag too, that you're supposed to sit in silence with your clients. and that's when sometimes the growth happens because then they have a chance to think, then they tell you something that they might not have otherwise told you. But in the beginning for years, I had the worst time with that. I mean, I would just try to fill the silence. So if they weren't talking, I, I felt like I had to say something right away. And you learn so much more from the uncertainty, but I think that's a skill that comes with time. To, to be honest, that's one of the hardest things that I've had to work on is to be okay with silence and sometimes to do nothing. Yeah. It's hard. (laughs) It is. It's the same as a ballerina. I feel like in dances, it's much easier to move around. And some of the hardest moments are the ones where you just have to stand and be on stage. You know, it's just the silent moment. So 
Maybe it's across the board with professions that silent moments are hard. Yes, and that they should be embraced and you should work on it. And I'm so glad, again, that you are on the other side of this. But sometimes in these times of adversity, as you mentioned, it's our biggest times for growth. And you having to contend with even your identity, that you've been a dancer all your life. Yes, you've done all these other things as well, but you know, your core identity is that of a dancer. And when you didn't know if you could have that back, it really forced you to take a hard look at, well, who am I if I'm not a dancer? So what were some of the things that you discovered during this time? And what do you think your identity is filled with now? Oh, I love that. Yeah. I mean, I am not the kind of person to sit around and mope. Like that was not me. And I needed to fill my days with other things that I loved so that I could stay positive and stay motivated. And so I thought, okay, you know, I'm just going to do things that I never have the time to do. I'm going to really work on my line so that I can really spend time and design more. I'm going to, we're writing a second book for Katerina Ballerina. So we really focused on that. I also took journals while I was injured because I really feel like it's something I want people to know because I think that some days ballerinas do seem perfect and like we don't go through hardships like normal people and it's so not true. And I really think it's important what we just spoke about, about, you know, me feeling misunderstood having to deal with the uncertainty and trusting my instincts and being told all of these things that really didn't mean something to me in the end. I want to share with people those those experiences. I plan to write a book on my injury. Um, So I I did a lot of that so I could get my thoughts on the paper. And then also um, I choreographed and I didn't know if I would be able to because normally I choreograph on myself, but I couldn't move. So I had to use my voice and do it on the dancers. And actually somebody, a really big professional choreographer said to me, you know, that's when I really knew that I was a choreographer was when I couldn't move and I had to just think of it and use the dancers in front of me. So that was another thing I did when I was injured. And then now with this, you know, this pandemic, it was like I finally got back on stage and now I can't perform again. You know, I finally felt like I had gotten back. And now here I am back to just doing like class every single day. And I really found how much I love to teach. And that is something that I've always felt pretty good at because I started teaching very young at my mom's dance studio just to help her out. But I never thought I would enjoy it as much as I have. I've been doing live Instagram classes for people every single day. Just so that, you know, it's kind of like my gift to them. I felt like people needed some sort of structure in this crazy time. And if I could offer that while I was getting myself class to let people dance along with me, like that was something that I thought, okay, I'll try and see. And it's been such a great joy in my life. And it's what wakes me up every morning to know that I have people counting on me. And just as much as they are motivating or that I'm motivating them, they motivate me, (laughs) you know? Yes, I think teaching is really the gift that keeps on giving. And Tyler, I went to your class yesterday and today on Instagram, and you are a wonderful teacher. I am still to this day very intimidated by ballet because I also um, started dancing 
jazz and hip hop. And I didn't even actually start to learn any ballet until I was a teenager and in my first musical. And by then I kept apologizing. It was this sense of always having to apologize. Like, well, no, I'm really just a hip hop dancer. I'm just trying to learn ballet. You know, so you definitely, there is definitely a stigma there with when you start out with a completely different dance form. So anyway, ballet dancing is very intimidating to me, but you make it so easy to follow. I mean, a couple of things that I think everybody should join your, your Instagram classes because even if you don't have any experience, because you make it easy, you demonstrate the moves, you talk about different modifications for beginners in advance. Also, I think it's great that you're just in your kitchen, in your living room, because I think people get really yeah. intimidated, like, oh, I'm going to start dancing ballet, but I don't have a bar and I don't have a mirror and I don't have wood floors, but you don't actually need those things. I love that you actually use your kitchen counter as a bar for one side of your exercises. Yeah. And then for the other side, you use a chair. Yeah. Um, you find what works, you know, but I think that that's what makes you so accessible. And you are a very good teacher because you anticipate the kind of questions or problems that we might be having before, because you can't see us. You don't know what's happening, but you'll correct form. And I'll be like, oh my gosh, she's so right. I'm totally doing that. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I, I love it. And I think it's so fun and, and engaging. And I also think it's funny when you get little interruptions from your family members, like you're talking to your mom. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, my mom is helping me. We we made a little joke that she's like the production assistant <laughs> and my sister is the music coordinator and my dad is like craft services making sure we're all fed. It's just hysterical. It's like it takes the whole family for sure. But, you know, like you were saying, what's been great is that I've gotten so many messages from people across the world. Like I have people taking in South Africa, Germany, um, you know, it's in the UK, Brazil, like just crazy. And, and the range, it's like six-year-olds to, mm -hmm. you know, I have like a 40-year-old man who looked more like a football player taking. And what I love is that people say, I never would have had the courage to walk into a physical studio, but because it's in my own home and I know nobody can see me, I don't feel judged. And I feel like, okay, I can finally do something that I've always wanted to try, but always felt too self-conscious to do. And I love that. And, you know, that's why I made the hashtag turn it out with Tyler, because I wanted to be able to see people if they felt like they were okay with sharing, because, you know, it is hard teaching and not being able to see kids or students or anybody taking because I'm so used to being hands on. But this way, I can give individual corrections and then know for the next class saying, okay, guys, I saw a lot of people doing this. So this class, let's make sure and really work on this. So it's been so fun. And I'm so glad that you enjoyed Yeah, I'm going to keep taking your classes. And I really enjoyed that yesterday you had your friend Wade even play music, live music during the exercises. Uh, and he's a cellist. And I love, I love cello. I love string instruments. So yeah. that was a really, really cool element too. And what a great way to just embrace uncertainty and stillness once again. I know you had just finally rehabbed yourself and gotten back to full performance a few months ago. And now you're you're having to wait and see what happens. And what a productive way to turn adversity once again into an opportunity for yourself to grow and also for everybody around the world. So I really appreciate that about you, Tyler. And as we wrap up, I want to talk about this supercharged tip of determination because people want to know how to have that. And I think, again, if you don't come from a growth mindset, then your idea is, well, some people are just more determined, but it's not true because I think it's something that we can all hone throughout life. It doesn't matter how old you are 
are. You can start at any age. And I wanted to talk to you about a couple of the things that are really important, I think, to determination. And I think one thing is just to manage fear because a lot of times people get stopped, you know, when they get afraid of anything, rejection, failure, um, having a more difficult path. So what's one way that you think you've been able to overcome it that you can teach our listeners? It's so true what you just said. I think some people get overwhelmed. You know, they they have a thought and they think, oh, that just seems so overwhelming. I'm not going to try. And I have always done the complete opposite. I'm more the kind of person that's like, you know what, I'm just going to try. And if I fail, I fail, but at least I know that I tried. And I think that that is maybe a hard mindset to kind of go into. But who knows if you can, if you're going to, succeed in something until you take that leap. Like nobody knows. And I feel like, you know, what's the worst that somebody can say or, or what that, you know, Oh, okay. I didn't do it. So I'll just try again tomorrow or try again the next day. I mean, that's always what I kind of use to kind of help me move forward. It's just that, you know, I would rather, like you said, live without regret than make fear kind of overcome my life and not let me try the things that I think, oh, here's something I might really enjoy. I think that that's a great tip because you don't want to have those regrets and and you want to just take it one step at a time. I think sometimes when we get overcome by fear and become overwhelmed, like you said, it's because we've thought a thousand steps into the future and yes. some of those things haven't even happened yet and they probably won't happen, you know? Um, so it's, it's interesting. I, I sometimes find that perfectionists are absolutely paralyzed by fear because perfectionists have that innate ability to like project so far into the future that it actually ends up scaring them. (laughs) So I think it's relatable. And I know we've been talking about adversity into opportunity and that I think is a key to determination too, but it's of course easier said than done when something bad happens to us. Sometimes we just want to crawl under a rock. We don't want to say, Oh, yay, here's an opportunity. Um, so, so what's the tip that you have for people to have that mindset? Cause I think that's a hard turn sometimes, especially as you were recalling the moment when you got the news. I mean, at that moment, you probably weren't thinking, Okay, what's the opportunity here? So, how can people get there when they first encounter a challenge? I think this is something I really learned working with my energy healer. And that was something that was, um, it's okay to live in like being uncomfortable. And I kind of felt like that was a failure. Like if I was sad, I felt like, oh, that's bad. I can't feel those feelings. And he would always say to me, no, Tyler, this is actually a moment for you to like really grow. It's okay to be sad. Like, and it's okay to feel fear and not know what's going to happen with your injury. And honestly, if you're pushing that aside, then you're not being truthful to yourself because that is how you're feeling. So you have to be okay with feeling those moments of sadness. And then what are you going to do to get out of that? You know, like that's where the growth happens. But I feel like I always felt like if I'm sad or if I'm down, then something's wrong. And, you know, now I, I don't feel that way. And I'm like, you know what? If I feel sad, I'm just going to let myself feel sad because I think that some of our greatest achievements and growth are how we come from those obstacles. I agree 100%. And I think that it's really hard for people who have been go, 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 overachievers, perfectionists to sit with that uncomfortable feeling or those sad emotions and think it's okay and, and wanting to cover it up or, or, or push it away. 
I think it's a huge piece of learning that you learned from your energy healer of, oh, it's okay to be sad. That's normal. That's all right. That's to me profound. And it's something that I've had to learn and took me a long time to learn. And now I tell people that all the time. If I say something like, oh, I'm sad. And sometimes I have to say, and it's okay, by the way, you don't have to like fix it for me. I'm cool. I'm just having a bit of a down day. All of us do. It's all right. Be able to accept your emotions and your feelings and just sit with them sometimes. You don't have to all of a sudden turn it into a positive feeling. I don't think that that's necessarily the way to go. And I think one of the other um, determination keys that I wanted to talk about is surrounding yourself with the right community. And I'm not talking about yes people, not people who are just going to blow smoke up your butt and say everything's going to be wonderful because sometimes it's not. But people who are like-minded, who give you that sense of determination and motivation, who you can learn from. And I know that you talked a lot about your family and how they've been that support for you. And now you get to hang out with them because we're in the middle of the pandemic and you're sheltering in Bakersfield. But what's the most important lesson you think that you've learned from your grandma, your parents, your sister? I totally agree that I feel like you're only as good as the kind of the people that lift you up. It isn't just about yes people because, you know, a lot of the energy healing was stuff I didn't want to hear, you know, and it was hard at first. But then it was like, you know what, that is true. And that is something where I could grow. And so I do think it isn't just about surrounding your people with yes, people. And that's my family. They've always been honest with me, no matter if it hurt my feelings, or if it was lifting me up. And that is something that I have always found. I think that's like the backbone of like our family and what I was kind of brought up. And it was like, just be true to yourself. And that carried over into everything. It carried over into, you know, not comparing myself, which we talked about. It carried over into striving to be my personal best. It carries over into every aspect of my life. You know, I'm just so grateful to have the family that I do. I really couldn't have done it without every single person in in my family. And the way that you choose to express those life lessons is so helpful because right now you are helping so many people who might feel isolated, who might feel down with your positivity and your encouragement and your daily classes on Instagram. So if anybody else wants to join and you should, it's 10 in the morning Pacific time. And again, no one's watching you. So it's okay. I can just imagine when I'm watching you dance that that's what I look like. I know it's not, but that's what I imagine in my head. You know, that that visualization is really there for me. So that's what's going to keep pushing me to keep coming to your classes, Tyler. But how else can people find you? And of course, everybody should buy the book, Katerina Ballerina. I don't care what age you are. It is a fun book to read and it's available everywhere, including on Amazon. But where else can people find you, Tyler, if they want to learn more about you? My Instagram is at Tyler Peck and Tyler's T-I-L-E-R-P-E-C-K. I know it's a weird way to spell it, but that's where my Instagram live classes are at 10, like you said, for an hour every day. Um, You can also look at the New York City Ballet website to see some videos of me dancing. And also I have my line Tyler Peck designs um, and it's for body wrappers, which you can see the whole collection on the body wrappers website. But I also started a Tyler Peck designs Instagram page just to make it easier for all the people that have been taking my turning out with Tyler class. So much fun. I am definitely going to go buy some new clothes to take my classes with you. (laughs) And also you recently were involved in a fundraiser to raise money for performers, right? Could you tell our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, 
everybody's being hurt by this pandemic right now, um, including New York City Ballet. And so a bunch of us ballerinas, I think there was like 30 something of us got together and performed an excerpt of Dying Swan. And there's a GoFundMe page that's actually up in the link in my bio right now. Um, And that's to raise money because our organizations are really struggling right now. I think New York City Ballet is kind of hit with an $8 million deficit right now um, through this pandemic because they're paying all of us for our contracted weeks, which is so great. But it is really hard. And the money will then be split up between every single company members um, who was in the video. So, yes. That's wonderful. I really want us to keep performance and art alive. And that is one of the saddest things about the pandemic is me not knowing when I can go and attend another performance because I really enjoy it. So, but I hope to see you dance in person one day, Tyler. It's been so great getting to know you a little bit here. And just thank you so much for spending some time with me today. Oh, I loved it. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So we will follow you, Tyler Peck, and we will keep on top of your books because your second one is going to come out sometime soon as well. Thanks for listening to this episode of Supercharged Life. If you like the show and want to learn more, follow me at Dr. Judy Ho. And remember to subscribe, download, and tell your friends. And take a moment to leave a review. It'll mean so much to me. I'm Dr. Judy. And remember, anytime is a great time to supercharge your life.